There is um, a mathematician, I don't remember his name, but he wrote a little blurb about a mathematician's lament. You can check it out. Um, it's really short, really powerful writing. But he said, imagine the way math is taught in school. It's like you're trying to learn music or you want to teach your students music. And the only things you teach them is how to um, write the music. And they have to get it perfectly every single time. Like, this is how you write it. This is how you write it. And they never once get to hear what music sounds like. They never get to compose. But it's very interesting that you just said that because that's how I actually feel about religion. You know, like I always say, imagine if Jesus was to come back and see all these Christians. Because it started with Nigeria, Chad, because, you know, <laughs> there's a hot mess over there, you know. Jesus would cringe. He would shake his head like, Chad, I would rebuke all of y'all. One. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk About Us with Uche. I am your host, Uche. Before we get started for today's episode, I do want to give a quick apology. Obviously, as you can hear, my voice is very hoarse. I have been diagnosed with inflamed sinuses. I don't know what I ate or drank, but my sinuses are inflamed. So that's why I sound the way I sound. But I do have a very special guest with me today and because she is here on a limited time that's why i took it upon myself to have to record while she's here even with my messed up voice so please bear with me thank you so much for your wonderful support if this is your first time joining please make sure to subscribe hit that bell notification if you're watching on youtube share with your friends and family let everyone know that uche is the man without further ado i have my sister here with me the same mother same father she is visiting all the way from california bay area california to come see her big brother and i'm very thrilled to have her i have three wonderful sisters my three sisters are some of the best people that i've met in my life and i'm not just saying that just because they're my sisters i just think that they are dope the whole full package and i'm lucky enough to have one of them visiting early this year to come see me so i wanted to you know just get her on my podcast and poke her brain for a little bit please introduce yourself what's up sis hi <laughs> <laughs> i'm sylvia or a Kwesi, whichever um, but you call me Akwese. Everyone else knows me by Sylvia. What do you feel more comfortable going with? Let's go with Akwese. Akwese. Yeah, I'm Akwese. Okay, so this is my sister Akwese. Her Igbo name is Akwese, and her English name is Sylvia. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank welcome you. to YouTube. Are you? Yeah. How do you feel being here? Uh, it's what a way to start off the year. I think uh, this is really going to direct where the year is going to go. Really, like the entire theme. It's starting off so powerfully very powerful is it because yeah. you're on my podcast or because you're in my home or because, because i'm in your podcast in your home because of the conversations we've already had yeah um this is my first time being in a setting like this by the way okay <laughs> yeah so, so you think it's a positive push towards a definitely, positive year definitely a positive push okay yeah. good good i'm glad i, I had that effect you know yeah. but welcome back to texas i know you've been here before and welcome to the show I'm thrilled to have you. So you want to tell people a little bit about you, what you do back in California, anything that you think is relevant for people to kind of understand who you are, not just as my sister, but also as a guest. Part of why I said that this is like a really interesting and powerful way to start the year is because this is the first year that feels free where I don't have any ties to any kind of institutions like school. Mm. I've been in school since preschool Ooh. and I just graduated from my master's program last year and i don't have any jobs lined up partly on purpose um so this is the first open year that i have and i am just really trying to 
figure out what I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations on graduating. Thank you. I still have a couple more semesters to go, but I do enjoy what I'm studying anyway, so it's not that bad. You want to tell us what you studied for undergrad and also for your master's? Yeah, my undergrad was in math, general math, um, and my master's program was in statistics and data science. Yeah, which to me, those are the same thing, but data science has a more marketable appeal so i think they kind of attached that to the name of the program okay so a lot of numbers a lot of numbers a lot of data crunching number crunching yeah so it seemed like you have a thing for math and numbers and all of that that is what it would seem like given the degrees that i have i think me getting into math in my undergrad was kind of it was semi-random um the math department in my school had a nice building and i'm very sensitive to interiors i if i'm going to study somewhere for four years or three years, I want to feel comfortable in the room. So I had one of the best buildings, and they had cookies always lying about in the math lounge. Um, so I would come there, and I'd have some cookies. When it was time to pick a major, and I was still kind of... I hadn't liked the tracks that I'd already picked so far, the chemistry classes and the economics classes. Like, eh, this is not for me. I'm not really sure what to do. And I'd already taken a few math classes, and I decided to go with where I felt the most comfortable, which is the building that was the newest, that had the best lighting and it had cookies in the lounge. That's how I ended up in math. And that that's how you ended up choosing math? Yes. That's really interesting because I, I remember the first time you told me that you were getting your undergrad in mathematics. It blew my mind because, frankly, I don't think I know anyone who has ever gotten any degree in mathematics. You know, like I'm usually, I usually associate those degrees with people like Einstein, physicists, you know, people that you read yeah. in textbooks, uh, Europeans, and, you know, things like that, yeah. people in the past. Yeah. But I don't really see a whole lot of our age range you know like this new generation even physics and chemistry and biology those are so niche and very very few people venture into those degree titles but for me hearing you talk about that you're measuring in mathematics i was like whoa where is that coming from and you also have to understand that a lot of people shy away from math math has been voted so many times to be the the hardest subject ever even when i lived in nigeria as well it was very difficult for me now it's not as difficult because now i understand and this is some of the things that we've talked about in the past you know i understand math and what the issue was back then why i didn't understand it back then and also i feel like it's the same issue why a lot of people shy away from math but seeing someone like you at such a young age venturing into mathematics no serious thought about it and just boldly accepting that as it, I'm going to do it for four years. Yo, that that's I think <laughs> one of what you, one of the things you said um, is probably the reason, not the reason, but why I didn't stop, um, where I didn't have to think about it. I didn't know that math was a thing that people could study. I remember in high school when people were applying to colleges and trying to figure out what they wanted to major, and I knew that I didn't know, so I didn't even bother thinking about it. Um, and someone talked about math, and I remember thinking clearly how do you study, how is math a major in college? Isn't it finished? I thought people majored in things that they're trying to like expand Mm. the subject area. But math is a finite thing. Like you study the things that you study and then you stop studying it. I didn't know that you could create in math. So anyways, by the time I got to college, it was just a, it's like, oh, okay, math is a thing that people major in, but I didn't give it much thought. And I think that helped me go into it without any fear, without any preconceived notions. So would you say now that you understand that math is not a finite thing? It's more, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And you're willing to explore 
as much as you can. Like you and I have talked about, it, math is actually infinite. Yeah. But you're willing that the excitement. Would you say you're you you feel excited exploring that infinity as much as you can with your finite mind? I do. Okay. Um, I do. And that excites you. It does excite me. Okay. It also makes me a little bit nervous. Okay. Part of the excitement is the way I want to study math and talk about math okay. is not in a way that I've seen at all. In a way that makes me excited because as far as my own little world is concerned, I am kind of breaking ground, new ground, and that's fun. But also then I don't have, I don't know what it looks like, which is fine, but I don't know how to get other people excited because I'm not sure how to articulate what I mean by this is the approach I want to look at math from. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's not like you are a blueprint for something that has not been done or maybe it has been done, but it has not, not been done. Not in my field done. of awareness, yeah. Yeah, but, it, but it's not as common per se. So you have a lot of wiggle room to navigate as you please. I told you guys, I have awesome sisters. Definitely an enigma here. You know, um, I think that's awesome, you know, that you're, you're taking that leap of faith to pursue something that not a whole lot of people have done. It is passion, in spite of the fact that it is a subject area that a lot of people shy away from, which also gets me very interested um, because math is such a very complex subject that even the thinking of math itself just makes a lot of people just hyperventilate. But you, you venture into it just effortlessly. Would you say that you've never really struggled with math growing up? Well, I wouldn't say effortlessly there, but... Um, well, relatively effortlessly. Until, <laughs> uh I would say up until before college, I wouldn't say I struggled with math. I did as well in math as I did in other subjects. So it did not stand out or it did not, it was not clouded in anxiety and it did not stand out as something I was good at. It was just even with everything else. Okay. I would say, yeah. Because I still remember, I have memories when we were kids. I remember you'd struggle, not struggle, but like you'd be pestering dad because you have this math homework. You're such a perfectionist that you just want to get it right. And you, I remember you'd be crying on the floor. Yes, I, I, remember, I, I remember that. Yes, I remember that. I'm not even making this up. I remember you'd be crying and then like, go to bed, go to bed. And you'd just be crying because you want to get it done so you can turn it in the next day. But yeah, you were so, you know, adamant to finish before you go to bed because it meant so much to you. I don't remember if it was just math that you did that with, but I know you did that with math. I don't know if that's a possibility of you being just a perfectionist or just you having this strong inclination towards mathematics that you want to be able to finish what you started with math, specifically before going to bed. But I still have memories of it as we were kids. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's I, I, yeah, I don't remember that at all, um, but probably less about the math part and more about the... I would never call myself a perfectionist, but maybe just wanting to go to bed with a clean conscience. Yes. Yeah. Knowing that it's done, wrapped Knowing up, move done. on. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would do the same thing in high school, in my English class and finishing up my essays. Um, I went to a boarding school and everyone would have left the school by then, all the students. Sorry, towards the end of like a semester where all the students would have already left and we're kind of waiting for dad to pick us up. Me and Isaac are waiting for dad to pick us up. And I remember still being in the library, still trying to finish up my essay and typing. There's no one in the school. And dad is like, okay, when are you almost done? Our luggages are packed and everything. So I remember that for English, not so much for math. 
That sounds a lot like me, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm almost there. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a second. I mean, you've seen, I've been working all day. So, yeah, that, that's definitely the way. Because I don't like things, because I have so many things planned out, yeah. you know what I mean? And I don't like things to spill over, Yeah. you know, because now my anxiety is like, you know, like, yo, something unfinished, something unfinished, and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. By the time you know, it's like a shoelace tangled, <laughs> and then you're, you know, just falling just all over the place. Yeah. So, no, we can't have that. <laughs> But anyway, interesting, interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's very awesome. I remember one of the conversations we've had in the past, right? If you remember, I think this was sometime last year. And I was talking to you about mathematics and how I believe that God is sort of like math. Um, and, and I also was talking about how I think the issue with mathematics, at least the, the, the school systems, while a lot of people are not so receptive to it, is because <clears throat> theoretical math has been taught and there's not a whole lot of practical mathematics being taught. You know, there's not a whole lot of um, people are not explained how mathematics is being not just utilized in everyday life, but how math is everywhere and everything, both in shapes, geometry uh, and numbers. Math is in everything. Yeah. And I've come to understand God as math. And I remember as I was saying that you were saying, yes, yes, you were snapping your finger or something like that. Do you still have the same sentiments now, the same opinions? Um, I was snapping my fingers because you were talking about a lot of things that I've been thinking about, not necessarily, not that I necessarily believe or, yeah, or hold as my own personal beliefs, but these are, you're turning gears that are already turning in my head. Um, but a few things, um, I think my approach, my spirituality okay. and my conception of God is a big part of my life. Okay. And <laughs> mathematics specifically by way of philosophy is also another big part of my life in my head they're not quite joined okay and i'm interested in not so much joining them but i'm interested in putting them in dialogue so god and mathematics yes okay and so not necessarily god as mathematics oh i see so right now there's a separation right in now your head. A separation, okay yes. so what is the conception of god <laughs> god is me and okay. also god is an awareness that transcends myself, but it's this feeling that I know that I'm here and I know that I'm awake. So how can God be you and then also something that transcends you? Because that sounds like because a I can imagine entity. something because I can imagine something beyond what I know. So I have to leave that up to God. I can imagine something bigger than myself, even though I don't know how to what it is, and the fact that I can imagine it. The fact that I can imagine it so clearly, even though I don't know what it is, I have to chalk it up to, oh, there must be something bigger than me. So you say something bigger than you as a separate entity from you or a uh, part of you that is bigger than the self that is manifested? Yeah, I'm, I'm, growing up, I probably thought of it as a separate entity, but now I know, I believe that it's not. A separate entity. No. So, I don't feel separated from my sense of God. Okay, so God is... So it sounds like you're saying that God, your understanding of God, mm -hmm. is a deeper version of you. Yes. Okay. And how does that differ from what you learned growing up or what we learned growing up, Chad? Because we grew up in the same household. We did. Okay. God was someone <clears throat> that I prayed to. God had a physical human form even though he was not necessarily human 
and he lives in the sky and he was big very much bigger than all of us and he was definitely he and he was he and he was very much white um <laughs> older white figure. yeah and he was someone that i prayed to and i talked to like i was talking to you or talking to another someone else that i thought was distinctly different from me okay so yes I like to think of mathematics or God in, in terms of mathematics because of, one, the infinite numbers. Mathematics, as you are, as a mathematician, you know that the numbers don't begin at one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. Some people may say it starts at zero, but you as a mathematician, you know that it doesn't even begin at zero. You have the negative numbers and positive numbers. It goes from negative infinity to positive infinity. So there's really no midpoint per se. There's no beginning point and there's no end point. That's how I like to think of God as mm. one that has no beginning, no midpoint, and no end. It just is. And the fact that you can see that math and literally everything in shapes, numbers, geometry all around us, to me, that is like a representation of physical manifestation of that infinity mm -hmm. in what is. And of course, you can look at it from a very microscopic lens, you know, like caving into matter and keep going all the way to quarks and beyond quarks. You know, quarks is the least divisible that we know right now. But of course, if you keep going, keep going, it goes into negative infinity. And of course, if you expand outward, it goes into positive infinity. That's the way I like to see God manifested in physical form. Mm, and I like to, okay, now that just reminded me of something. I feel like I like to see, think of maybe God or my sense of reality as something that exists in relation with something else. Everything's relational. If I were to make any crossover between God and math, that's where I would see it too. Um, like let's say a perfect circle. Perfect circles don't really exist in physical form. In math, perfect circles exist as an idea that is formed by relationship. Like I can define something. I can say that a circle is a collection of points that are all, you know, equidistant from a center. That definition is in relation to an idea that has like, we can imagine a physical form, but that physical form does not exist around us. It is, everything in math is sort of built. They're like pure concepts that are just built on top of each other, on top of each other. And they can point to things that we can see and feel and touch, but they themselves, they're really eerily empty. The further you go into math, the more pure or abstract it is, things start to feel very, almost starts to feel made up. Some people say it is made up. <laughs> it starts to feel made up because it's kind of airy and airy because you're playing with ideas. You're not playing with anything else. You're playing with ideas and you're putting them in relationship with each other. And there's nothing, I don't think, my conception of math, there's nothing really at the bottom of it all. There's not this concrete thing at the bottom of it all. There's not a singular nest. It's a bunch of empty things that are being held together in like a lattice of relationships and definitions. Like this is related to this and this is related to this. I can define this only because I can define this other thing. There's not a single thing that holds its own anything. Yeah, isn't that what, that's what math is, though. Yeah, and that's, that's also, how I used to think about math. And that's also how the universe operates as well. Yeah. Like literally nothing is on its own. Everything influences everything. Yeah. Um. Everything physical. I, I actually also uh, argue metaphysically as well. But everything physically, everything has a physical relationship with everything. Yes. Um. And also the way I, I like to think of math is we, at least the physical universe or a physical mm -hmm. word, is a physical manifestation, perfect 
precise physical manifestation of the metaphysical. That which we cannot see and that without form perfectly manifests itself physically. Mm. And that per- perfection and manifestation is why things are not just as we see it, but they're consistently as we see them. You know, this cup cannot just disappear or turn into a chicken or whatever. And if if that does, if it does happen, there will be a very logical reason or rule that it will follow as a result of that precise mathematics that is being manifested physically from the metaphysical. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it, it makes a bit of sense. And now I'm thinking, okay, so does this make sense? Does it make sense to you or do you believe it? Like that math is the language of God. Yes. Okay. So it's almost like you're taking, (laughs) um, I'm thinking like Prometheus kind of going up and then getting fired and bringing it down. I'm using math to, I'm taking the language of God to talk about the physical manifestations of the metaphysical world. So I'm taking math, language of God, and I'm using it to describe things in our physical um, environment. Sometimes the things in our physical environment, I am using that to inspire the mathematics that I that I even think about. So like they kind of go back and forth. Mm. Sometimes it's like, I'm going to invent math so that that happens to explain the things around me. Mm. And that's almost like a goosebumps feeling like, oh, wow. So math explains what is. Yes, but sometimes what is is used to... To understand more of what what is, but is not necessarily available to our knowledge yet. I was going to say sometimes what is kind of influences the direction. It influences what people study in school sometimes. It influences the... Because mathematics, at the end of the day, it's still... The production of mathematics is part of an institution. It's part of academics. Of course. What people end up studying, what people publish, what people, what ends up trickling down to elementary school and middle school, um, all of that, that is a cultural process. That's a very human process. Um, And all of that is influenced sort of about, is influenced by what is around us, what we can imagine. To which some is, extent. Which is highly limited. Which is very limited, Compared yes. to the infinity, the yes. ocean yes. of what actually is, yes. metaphysically, math. Yes. Okay. So even the math that is being done, in some sense. It's quite mediocre. <laughs> I would well, I would not say that, <laughs> well, but that is one of the... Compared to the infinity, yes. Compared to the, yes. Well, compared to the average human mind, yes. it's pretty, you know, like Einstein and things like that. Like, yo, this is dope. But like when you when you compare that affinity or finiteness yes. to the ocean of infinity, it's quite laughable, yes. I'd say, right? Perhaps, yes. Okay, perhaps. But one thing, one cool thing that math can help us do is to, like, is what kind of what you said, further what it helps us... What we can imagine, we use it as a basis of our math, but then math can help us go further beyond that. And that okay. is cool. But at the end of the day, I just feel, I personally feel like there's always this limitation because what guides our research, what guides how we study, what guides what, what marks we put on the paper is still part of the construct that we already live in. So like, how much can we actually transcend that construct? Math, the language of math is so human, the way we actually do it is so human that that can't be the only way that you can touch God or get God. Do you think it's just human or intentionally manipulated to be like that by someone or some things or some powers? Ooh, 
That I don't know because right now in my head, when I think about the doing of math, I can only think about it in the context of school and in the context of institutions. I have not really seen math operating outside of that personally. So I can only say that I, is it by design? I, that, I Like innocent design or like, intentional limiting design. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question beyond me, maybe. Yeah. I know, this is a question theories. beyond me. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, though? Like, if you were to give a quick guess. Because I really I don't know. I would probably say... I would probably say... Yes, it's part... It's intentional. It's part of it all. I feel like, you know, there are people who would love... Who are drawn to math because... Finally, there is a language. There is something that I can be, feel rest assured that is not um, subject to the follies of humans. It's this thing. It's this. If nothing else, there is math. Um, it's infallible, which mm, to some extent, mm, I don't think so. There's some icky. There's some um, holes in mathematics, perhaps. Uh, I won't. I don't know if I can get into it that much. I don't think I have enough knowledge of it, but I think our I understanding of math is incomplete. I think the bedrock is not as strong as people would like to think, and I think that's that might be on purpose so that it is not. We don't start worshiping math. We don't idolize it. There is all. It, we have to come out of it to still understand God. Um, it does not become an object of worship. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah, so that it doesn't become an object of worship. If math was perfect and infallible, I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> I'd actually challenge you on that. Okay. I'd say math is infallible. Okay. But there is a possibility that what we know right now is quite fallible. There's, there, there's a possibility. There's, a, there's an actual shift from what is, from the noumena of math to what has been taught institution-wise. You know, so yes... There could be some holes and, you know, loopholes and that, you know, things like that. But the actual mathematics as it exists in its pure noumena form, metaphysically, mm. I would say is infallible. Okay. Now, if the possible fallibility of what we have right now as math is on purpose or just innocent human nature, that I can tell you. Yeah. I would say, knowing what I know about not just humans, but, you know, powerful humans who have the ability to influence things for whatever reason, greed or power or whatever, there's a possibility that a lot of that is intentionally manipulated or intentionally, there's not enough incentive for people to actually explore mathematics because exploration of mathematics, in my opinion, could potentially lead you to God. This is basically what astrophysics does, physicists in general, like scientists, anyone that deals with hardcore sciences, that is heavily embedded in mathematics. And look at all things that we've achieved so far just in, just by incorporating mathematics in those fields, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine if a lot more people are incentivized to explore mathematics with pure diligence. I think we would get closer to that infinity. Of course, it's impossible for finite humans to achieve infinity, but compared to where we're at in all the technological innovations that we have right now, we'll be further 
along because that will bring us closer to that infinity even though compared to infinity itself it'll be really still nothing does that make sense mm -hmm. cool so you were talking about how you would like to take math to a whole different direction that has possibly never been done before i'm sure it's been done before just okay. not in my line of sight. But you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. And most people, it probably would not be very common to most people because of how very limited it is, right? What would that be? What would you do much different from, say, Einstein or anyone else? Um, my one-liner that I tell people is I want to tell stories with mathematics. And what that doesn't necessarily look like is... Um, are traditional forms of narratives or traditional forms of stories and, I'm, and I throw in numbers and I, or I have characters talk about math. Um, what I really mean is there is a certain... The more you do math, the more you start to see certain patterns in terms of um, process, certain types of this is how a proof is done and many proofs are done this way or these are the types of questions that a lot of mathematicians keep trying to an answer. Um, you start to have a sense that there's a type of flow. There's a dance that comes with math, with doing math over and over again. Um, the way it feels, I want to make a story. I want to write stories that feel that way. Not so much write, draw stories that feel that way. Um, I want to transfer over what math can feel like over to more human language. Okay, so would you say what it feels like is repetition? What does it feel like? Very relational. That first comment that I made, where everything sort of um, exists in relations to everything else, which um, is still true in our physical um, environment. Uh, I don't think it's something that is we carry in our heads explicitly, necessarily. Um, but I want to make create stories that make that very explicit, the relational um, as aspects of everything. I want to talk about symmetry, how we can understand how one thing, how a process can look exactly like another process in one dimension and look very differently in another dimension mm. in that process. I want to talk about how, what does it look like, what does, when people say metaphorically, change your perspective and <coughs> see something else. Mathematics deals with that a lot there, where um, if I change the context, does this process still look like this process? If I change it to a different context, is this process exactly equal to this pro process? What are the metrics I'm using to talk about equality? I want to explore relationships between ideas, abstract ideas, and I want to see under what context are these the same, under what context are these different. In human language, when we talk a lot, you know, we talk through comparisons, um, Oh, this is just like that. Oh, this is exactly like that. This is literally this other thing. We keep making, we keep drawing boundaries and we keep relating one side of a boundary to the other side of the boundary. And a lot of times the divide is either this is the same as this, this is different from this. Um, and I want to talk about actually this is the same as this under this context. This is different from this under this context so that we can hold multiple perspectives at the same time. Stories that allow you to do that. Hmm. Sounds very philosophical. So how would this version of your storytelling be different from the storytellings that's already been out, like published and like the average person is already aware of, for example? Say something in the news, um, a news clip about telling a story about how a person is a victim or the perpetrator of a crime. So how would you tell the exact same story from a different perspective using math where both 
are true or lies or whatever it is? Or does this only work I, for specific scenarios? I think it's, um, I want to have a blueprint for telling stories that would work for almost anything. It's almost just, so yes, it should be able to work for that. How it would look like, I can't tell you right now, but I know the medium that, my preferred medium that I would like to work in would be, you know, through comics or through words and images. Just partly because I have like a personal interest in comics and um, also I think that images and words sort of playing together when words inform images and images inform words, I feel like uh, something else can happen. Something else is possible. I, oof, let's see. It's a little bit different from a news report where you're watching a video go on and then there's a narrator maybe behind a voiceover kind of telling you how to read the story and maybe even with the headlines kind of guiding you on like, these are the, con- these are the clues you should pick up. These are how you can draw the conclusions. There's that, sort of someone guiding you on how to read the story. And then there is maybe the more traditional print form where there's just only words. And again, the narrator is kind of telling you how to progress through the story in a linear fashion. And of course, you may or may not, you know, you can disagree or agree with parts of what they're saying. But when you have words and images sort of flat on a print, um... And they don't necessarily have to explicitly have anything to do with each other. I'm not going to write, this is an apple, and then draw an apple. No, I might talk about this is an apple and draw an ocean for some reason. And I'm sort of inviting the reader to figure out how the words, this is an apple, and an ocean drawn next to each other. I've already posed them relationally together, spatially. And now I'm kind of inviting the reader to figure out what they could have to do with each other. And this I want be, an open-ended type of story. And, and this will be an obvious... It'll be very obvious. I hope to, it's not obvious, but I oh. also don't want to... <clears throat> the other extreme would be... Um, so news is one extreme where it's like a sort of semi-obvious, where just like the newscaster and the headlines, they're all pointing to a very specific... They're hoping to construct a very specific narrative. They're hoping that their audience kind of buys into whatever... However they saw the clip, however they saw the video. It's intentionally done. It's intentionally done. Okay. Um, the other extreme would be um, something that just seems random and someone looks at it it's like, I don't know what to get out of it and just kind of walks away. So me as a creator, I will have my intentions in putting an apple next to a, a, a notion, a picture of an ocean, but I would hope that there's enough openness and enough room for interpretation. Um, yeah, I want to pose words and pictures in relationship with each other somehow and use that to talk about relationships and talk about how different context changes meaning. That sounds like the uh, Da Vinci Code. Have you heard of that? Like the movie? Or one of those pictures, you know, like those pictures that have hidden meanings. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. And it's yeah. also fun. Yeah, where Easter eggs. Where okay. for me as the creator, the whole thing is an Easter egg for myself. I'm going to place a bunch of things and I hope that people will make some of the connections that I make. Um, but one thing that I notice in making comics when I do that, you know, and I present it to someone and they're reading it or they're sort of yeah, looking at it, and, and then I tell them, oh, what do you think? And then sometimes they make some of the connections that I miss, like, yes, those Easter eggs, yes, they got it. Mm. And then a lot of the times they see things that I did, and it's like, oh, yeah, and I think you meant, they usually say, I think you meant to talk up, to say this. And I was like, hell no, but now that you said it, I just saw it. And like, mm. wow, that happens so often, um, where other people start drawing their own conclusions. <clears throat> and that is much 
more um, common when you have images and words as opposed to just words. I see. So how is this practical for as a career if you were to venture into that? (laughs) How would that help solve some of the pressing issues in the world? But not necessarily solve them, but like, you know, like an average human being. What would be so attractive to the average human being to patronize you in this career field that you possibly could venture into what be so attractive about it like huh maybe uh if i tell them that what i wrote i wrote it with a math textbook right next to me if i showed them a math textbook and the pages that inspired me and i showed them what i did and they're like how did you get from here to here and i was like okay let's talk like, how did I convert it? I, I think that could be appealing. Okay. I would like to, it's almost like a democratizing mathematics where there are different, there's another access point into the subject. It's not necessarily through, like, it doesn't have to look necessarily like, you know, solving the equations, X yeah. equals Y and all of that, which only has, which can only be done in school. And if not in school, it can be done at home, but through a textbook. Mm. Um, can it look like something else? How can you personalize it? And I want to show like, oh, I took this and I kind of converted some of the ideas into this. This is a way that I took, this is something that I took out of it. And maybe it can make some people more interested in like, okay, there's another access point. I love that. So do you think there's a possibility that what you're talking about could be not necessarily an entire substitute, but like oh, not a an, substitute. an aid to the current mathematics system, or at least mathematic way of solving mathematics in the education systems that we have right now. Maybe to like help younger people, because again, mathematics is just one of those subjects that a lot of people just struggle with. You know, I did when I was much younger, but then I got to college and I started seeing a bigger picture and I started liking it actually. But a lot of people still collectively struggle with math, with second grader, third grader, fourth grader type of situation, right? So if a person is struggling with math, would you say there's a possibility that what you're talking about could be an aid to help them understand better? And even possibly find it attractive to even want to venture into it more. Because I also feel like one of the things that turn people off about math is just the lack of understanding of the practical side of math. You know, when people think about math, they think about X, Y, Z, you know, things like that. And it just sounds so boring and just too Mm -hmm. complex to them. And then they just walk away. Even though that person possibly has inherent qualities about them that could be, you know, translated into mathematics or vice versa, you know, because... Philosophy, math is philosophy. Yeah. You know, so do you think this method that you're talking about could be something that could be used as an aid to attract people, to show people like, hey, math is not just black and white as institutionalized. It could be this, that, that, where you can understand it better and even possibly add to that collective growth within that field that you're talking about to get closer to that infinity. I think so, yes. And by understanding it better, I would say the better comes from enriching what you already know, just seeing it from a different perspective. But a lot of times in Wait, 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 hold on. What you already know or what you're hoping to understand but struggle to understand, hence why it's an aid? Like, for example, say back in when I was in high school and I was struggling in math, 
And because my teacher was just using all kinds of terminologies that I just don't understand, and it's just, it's just way too complex for me, would you say that your method could possibly come in and say, hey, Uche, the reason why you don't understand is because this, this, and that. It's too technical. How about look at it from this perspective and pictures and this and that? Do you think that I will be able to reach the understanding of Mr. Whoever explain this to me as my teacher based on what Akoiza is presented to me? It may not necessarily follow the exact same rubric as mm-hmm. his, but I'll be able to still land the exact same conclusion from that. Uh, maybe, but <laughs> the current work that I think of, the <clears throat> projects that I, the projects that I want to work on, no, that would not help you. It would not help clarify things, but I think it will help with the purpose issue in mathematics and the authority issue in mathematics. I think math has a huge authority issue where. Um, a lot of the things you do, you do it because your teacher told you so or a textbook told you so. And even when you get into higher mathematics and you're the one who's doing the research, a lot of what you, a lot of the things you research is based on what someone else typically did. did. And those things are usually not called into question at all. So like you kind of build on top of what other people did. Um, and that can turn some people off. Um, from mathematics where it's just like they don't have any um, what is it called yeah they don't have any control in what they're learning they are kind of trying to imitate a picture and I think I would want mine my work to sort of inspire someone to take what they already know because it's been passed on from someone else um, and instead of regurgitating what your teacher wants you to do I would hope that it can inspire them to Think about math in their own way, a part of what they've already studied, maybe a part of something that they already know and understand. Like, okay, I don't understand all of this other stuff, but this one thing, this one small thing, I know how to solve. I know how to balance equations. I know that. Let me try and do something with it. This girl does something weird. She has pictures and words and somehow it's math. And let me make a rap out of this. I don't know <laughs> anything else. Let me express myself. It's taking, it's putting yourself into what you already know. And that in and of itself is huge. So this is not necessarily going to clarify. It's like, actually, what your teacher meant is this. Mm, I see. Not necessarily that. It just puts more authority back into your subject, which will help you figure out the things you already don't, you can't figure out because it's inside of you. But a lot of the blockages are, I don't know it. Someone else knows it. My teacher knows it. This textbook knows it. I don't know. I'm just trying to catch up. I see. I see. Okay. Definitely not my niche, but it sounds like something that, a nerd <laughs> no I'm, be, I'm just being honest it's not like some like a fun type of mind mind game for like a nerd a person who has that that attraction towards that kind of stuff will be interested in like when they small niche yeah so it's a small niche yeah. well it seems maybe, small maybe it's small to I you to make because, something <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. small to you because you probably don't know a whole lot of people around yes. you but you'd yes. be surprised you have to understand we like I think we've gotten to 8 billion now and you have so many people all around the world, you know, like even in Nigeria, for example, you know how many people are probably have an affinity towards what you're talking about right now. But because they don't have the opportunity to explore it, yeah. you know, or they don't even have the opportunity to know that there is possibility beyond what they think they know based on the institutionalized doctrines of mathematics. So you'd be surprised. You'd be the catalyst for a lot of people to even create a bigger niche. So do you have anything that you're working on that you've worked on that we could possibly see? So we can get an idea. Putting me on the spot. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, you have a website, portfolio. I, I have a final project that I did for one of my classes. 
for my master's program. It's a comics book class that does not count towards my degree at all. Um, but uh, that final project, it was as a comic, and I talked about um, the uncertainty with graduating and not knowing what your future path looks like. I talked about that in terms of content, but um, visually and conceptually, what inspired the work was um, probability theory, um, an area of mathematics that is dedicated to like quantifying uncertainty. Um, and there's some really cool pictures that go along with that. Um, when you think of, when mathematicians like to think of probabilities, they like to think about um, distributions of pro- possibilities. Um, this has this possibility. Some, some things are more likely than other things. And to sort of visually show the distribution of how likely something is, they typically look like little mountain ranges. And I thought mm. that, that was a cool, I could play with that, mountain ranges probability, uncertainty, traversing through uncertain terrain, unknown terrain, something like mountains, uncertainty. I was like, that. there's something that, that, that is there. So I made a comic out of it. Mm. Do you have it published? Um, not published, but I have it on my phone and I have it printed out. <clears throat> okay. So if you wanted to show it, you can. Oh, okay, so I <laughs> yeah. was going to ask if Yeah, you I can send it to you. Okay. I can definitely send it to you. Okay, cool. Um, one thing I like about that project is you don't have to know anything about math or probability and you read it. And I think hopefully it still makes sense. And if I told someone who worked in probability theory or a stat student, oh, this is what I was thinking of, think probability distribution, and they look at it again, they might say, oh, oh, okay. So it can be read um, with a mathematician's eye or without a mathematician's eye. I see. Okay, so what I'm getting from this whole conversation is you're basically trying to communicate to people in your own way that math is not as comp doesn't necessarily have to be as complex and complicated as the institutions or school systems say that they are. Because math is something that flows through you into the world. Mm. If you understand the principles of it, mm. you can create. Yes, that that last part is really if I were to send any message which I'm not all of this is for myself because it's fun I like (laughs) to do it but if I were to send any message out it's the you can create within math that's something that I didn't know and that goes back to me being in high school thinking people majored in math what I did not know that creation was possible so you can harness the math, the metaphysical pure metaphysical math that courses through your being and manifest it as your own creativity in a language that makes sense to you into the world. Yes. That sounds like God to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. That sounds like God because that's exactly what it is. That course it through your soul. And unfortunately, matter of fact, it's actually really interesting because this is part part of what I talk about on this show. You know, when when I talk about spirituality, you know, a lot of things have been unfortunately corrupted and perverted because it's been intentionally done so to indoctrinate you into the malarkey of the world and keep you subdued in a place of unconsciousness so you're not able to explore and be as perfectly manifested through the Spirit of God into this world, right? Mm. But imagine, and I'm not just talking about math right now, but imagine, I guess it, it is relationally um, the same as math, but imagine if people were to forget about, not, not necessarily forget about the social standards and social norms and constructs and things like that, still recognize them, but also open their minds up to bigger possibilities as opposed to conformity of what has been intentionally created to keep us subdued mentally, spiritually, physically, and things like that, Mm. and explore from within and create even more. I feel like collectively, as a human race, it will be further along 
the line of uh, evolutionary consciousness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I can see that's what I mean by, you know, like math, which is how you're understanding this spirit or consciousness that I'm talking about is very much the same. Like I've always said, God is not a being, but rather being itself. Mm-hmm. Something or someone or some entity or some force or power or energy that just flows infinitely from a place of noumena into a place of manifested physical reality as we understand it. And that is math. Yes. And um, (laughs) if you start to see, once I started to see math more as a process, other people would call pattern matching. Yes. um, As opposed to holding so tightly to the concreteness of there's a one, there's a two, that's a sign, that's this function, that function. Once I let go of that. Yes. Because those are social uh, constructs as well. Those like, are constructs. Constructs. Like, even, those are drawings. Because one, two, three <laughs> one, are not, are, don't actually exist. They just are attempt to recreate what manifests. Mm. So don't get too hung up on don't it. Don't get too hung up on those. Once you let those go and you start focusing on the movement and the feeling and the flow, I think uh, the people at the top that do math, that's, I think that's what they tap into. Whether or not they realize it, that's what they tap into. Oh, so would you say people who have who invented math, or at least the, the concept of you know like equations and things like that, would actually shake their heads if they were to see how it has been taught in schools and there's no real application? Oh, they would die. There was someone. <laughs> there's no real application. Yeah, like you can see a kid. Would memorizing quadratic equation but do you really understand what's happening here or is it just a bunch of letters and numbers and things like that that's not like religion to me actually yeah and when people say like oh real world applications some of those mathematicians you're talking about now dead rest in peace might also cringe at that they're like what do you mean real life applications (laughs) um part of my personal draw to math is that i like to i don't want it to have a purpose but no there is um, a mathematician i don't remember his name but he wrote um, a little blurb about a mathematician's lament. You can check it out. Um, it's really short, really powerful writing. But he said, imagine the way math is taught in school. It's like you're trying to learn music or you want to teach your students music. And the only things you teach them is how to um, write the music. And they have to get it perfectly every single time. Like, this is how you write it. This is how you write it. And they never once get to hear what music sounds like. They never get to compose so check it out at Mathematician's Lament. Yes, I'm going to put a link down below. Yo, it is very interesting that you just said that because that's how I actually feel about religion. You know, like I always say, imagine if Jesus was to come back and see all these Christians. Because it started with Nigeria, Chad, because, you know, <laughs> there's a hot mess over there, you know. Yeah. Jesus would cringe. He would shake his head like, Chad, I would rebuke all of y'all. <laughs> you know, and I've also, obviously, I've also said that a lot of Christians today will kill Jesus if Jesus was to return. Because of how religious has been so perverted, corrupted, you know, people miss the actual doctrine and they're so entangled by the law and not necessarily the application of what is that naturally flows from you. So, for example, a lot of Christians, especially growing up, you know, it's been, uh, did you pray today? Check. Did you um, give your tithes and offering? Check. Did you donate to a homeless person? Check. But is that really truly flowing from your being as, as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And then the same way that it's been, religion has been so institutionalized and agenda-driven, 
for uh, for the purpose of control, power, money, and things like that, there's a possibility math has also been caved in to that as well because that's a very powerful force. What advice would you give to anybody, one, who is struggling with math or just dislikes math? Like, ugh, what is wrong with these people? And secondly, people who have an affinity for math but are not necessarily certain as, as to what is. You know, like, okay, I can see myself studying math. I know that there's some type of attraction to math, but what should I do? What can I do with that? And how do I even, sort of like how you were before you, you know, ventured into mathematics? I know it's a loaded question, but two, two Ooh, groups of people. I like to tell people that I don't give advice. I just, I just, I just live and you can watch you me. You just exist. And you can just watch what I do. Um, but I'll attempt to give advice for the first group of people struggling with math. Like whenever they see mathematical equations might get like a pit in their stomach. Um, my heart goes out to you. Truly, <laughs> truly. Um... And you could use that as an avenue of awakening in a way, that struggle. Um, it just so happens to be in a subject. Um, and if you're like at some point in school and you need to pass, move on. That's your thing. That's the thing you conquer. Um, you conquer math so that you can conquer anything else in your life. So basically lean into it? Lean into it. And give it your best. Yes. Not, not for the sake of math, but for the sake of life. For the sake of unlocking something in you that could possibly transcend to a bigger ceiling if you break that. Yes. And looking at it abstractly, where before I said, don't focus so much on the actual numbers and actual equations and actual functions mm. and try and understand the process or try and tap into the process for those people that are on that level that are not even getting the basic principles. Um, don't You can see it, it, it's math, but it's uh, in a more abstract way. It's just another part of your life that you need to get through or you need to get over with but to get over it you get through it with it and that's a very practical advice as well it's that, practical, that, yeah that could be applied to literally anything with anything if if you're if you have to do it if you have to do and it and it causes discomfort right and you don't have an, a choice yeah. might as well just lean into it yes and let math be that thing for you yeah because at the end, when you graduate, not literally from college or from the math class, but when you're done with that discomfort, there's liberation waiting for yes. you as yes. a part of life. And running away from it, not uh, running away from it, creating aversions towards it, um, that propagates to other things in life that seem math-like, not because of what it looks like, but it's just like another issue, like, I don't know, taxes. Mm. I'm that way with taxes, <laughs> where it's just like, oh, no, I just, I just want to, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. The way you approach not dealing with math, you're also going to approach not dealing with something exactly. else in the future. Ooh, like so just that. let it be your thing, like that, that. your struggle thing. Yeah. And let it be an opportunity for you to overcome. Yes. 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 I think that's Absolutely. more like a spiritual thing, too. Like a lot of people who are who practice now in the present. You know, just lean into every single situation that you find yourself in as opposed to run away from it. Because no matter how little you run away from that situation, you just become a quitter, a loser, and it builds up. Your soul remembers that. Yes. You know, eventually it becomes your default setting. Yeah. When you bump into something that is so challenging, maybe not even as challenging as you think it is, but just because you're so used to run away from discomfort, your soul it becomes sort of like a default setting, like, ooh, run away from it, run away from it. And as a result, you just remain perpetually stagnant. Yes. 
That's also the advice I give Ziaka. Our Ooh. sister, um, who is also in the exact same master's program as me, kind of encouraged her to apply. Um, and uh, we graduate at the same time. And our math journeys are very, very different. And I told her, hey, if you can get through this, you can get through almost anything. Your body will remember what mm. it felt like to conquer this. Mm. Like, don't see it as stats. Just see it as this thing, this vehicle for mm. liberation. And not necessarily your body, but more so your mind and your yeah. spirit will. Yeah. And it applies it to other things. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. for the second group of oh, people? Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about them. <laughs> um, I'm not sure this and that. Oh, one thing I would say that just fascinated me. I think every once in a while when I read about like the old dead mathematicians and I would read something about how they used to do math in monasteries or how entangled mm. the church was with math. I was like, what? Really? That was weird. That's really weird to think about, but I like to, rem- I like to remember it because um, math has had different places throughout history and just researching that could be cool. Anything that opens up possibility is always a good thing but it also elevates how you think about math you're already interested maybe you're already good at it maybe you already get some things but mm. if you want it to be if you want to i don't know put it on a pedestal or something um you can see how it has been put on a pedestal throughout history like in the church i think that's pretty cool another thing for them you can get into talk to this first group of people um work with kids in math um, especially the older you are, the more advanced you are in math. Go back to an elementary school and help someone who's struggling with their homework. And again, don't focus so much on the concreteness of their words and of their struggles and their cries or the, the thing that they're working with. Let that be a process of helping another human being, of not even just helping them, being in the presence of another human being, but they're younger and they're dealing with these very concrete little things in front of them and watch how you the little being in front of you and the numbers in front of you, how all of that flows together. I think it would just rejuvenate your spirit. Hmm. So it sounds more like focus on the being process now. Yes. yes. And so, just and just whatever flows from that, let it be. Yeah. And that and what can facilitate that is doing math with other people. Usually math is a solitary pursuit, um, for better or for worse. But one very popular avenues <clears throat> tutoring or something um mm. through younger people or even older people even in stuff that is so simple for you quote unquote um watch someone who's struggling with it and be with them presently it would open this very basic thing that you you, th- you think it's a basic understanding that you have But if you're intentional about being with that other person, Mm -hmm. you understand that this very obvious thing is not that obvious. And it just makes you that much more interested in the subject and maybe want you to pursue it more and go back to what you thought, you know. And didn't you do something similar? You did teach for for like, what, a year or two? If I got into that, this would be another hour. Um, (laughs) But yes, I did teach math. um, And you would say that you you walked away with some of that that you shared. Absolutely. I came in day one thinking like, Yo, I math okay. All the all these kids need to need <laughs> is like just someone who can clearly speak and clearly write and like give them formulas neatly written. I just thought that if things were neat, mm. that was a problem with mathematics. That's a problem with education. It just needs to be neat mm. and outlined well, coherent, coherent, and then yes. they'll get it. No, yes, that had that. I had to throw that out the window the first <laughs> day. 
Yeah, we definitely yeah. won't get into that. We can't. I don't want this but it was to amazing. Um, so, yeah. But I do agree. You know, like a lot of what's missing in math is, you know, one, the emotional intelligence of who you're teaching. And also, a lot of teachers are not compensated fairly. And, you know, a lot of lack of interest, lack of genuine interest in, you know, being very meticulous and diligent in explaining to people who are clearly disadvantaged in knowledge. And also, the it has to be like this mentality. Mm-hmm. So there's no wiggle mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. for for growth so not only is the teacher locked in the kid is also automatically locked in and you're sort of like indoctrinating the younger generation into that locked in mentality yep yeah but anyway thank you so much that's the end of today's episode (laughs) already (laughs) yes i know we've been recording for like over an hour i don't want it to be too long but yeah thank you so much for today's episode i wanted to talk to you about this mathematics thing like i said i literally don't know anyone else in this world I know they do exist, but I don't know anyone else who has ever majored in mathematics, which is really interesting because I considered majoring in math um, in college because I started college as a bio major and I considered doing math. But then just like you, I didn't know what to do with math. So the only thing I could think of was like astrophysics and things like that. But I just I also didn't have any attraction towards that either. Yeah. You know, so I was like, OK, it was just it was just much and it was just much easier for me to remain in the healthcare you know, health sciences, because I had already begun with biology, so I just finished with that. But I did consider it at some point. And then I remember when you start college, you shared that you are studying mathematics. I was like, it blew my mind. Like, yeah, we definitely have to talk about this. <laughs> and then also growing into my spiritual being, yeah. kind of understanding the relationship between spirituality and mathematics and numbers, you know, God and things like that. I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about that. Of course, you're still learning. I'm still learning. And the more people understand this correlationship, the better understanding, not just for me, but also collectively. So thank you so much. One last thing. Sure, please. That's someone who did math in undergrad and then stats as a master's. I still don't know what I'm going to do. People think, (laughs) What do you do with math? I don't know, but I want to play music with it. So there's no, I don't see any endpoint, any actual purpose career-wise, but I want to play music. So that's what I'll tell people. I like that. Yeah. I like the freedom in being. Yeah. So a lot of people just graduate with this mentality, oh, I have to, have to, have to, got to get a job, got to do this. Of course, you need a job, you need to be able to take care of yourself. But like, you don't, you're not entangled by this socially constructed mentality of I have to make six figures, I have to do this, I have to do that, you know, things like that. You're just flown with it. And of course, there are other social privileges attached, you know, having a father and having family members who can take care of you. So there's no deep uh, urgency for you to do a whole lot. One thing I would recommend, though, because it sounds like this is a PhD type of situation. I know you don't want to hear that because you just graduated. <laughs> I just graduated. I just <laughs> But no, I can see you going far because, you know, it's sad for me to admit it. But a lot of people who have this kind of mentality are Caucasians. I can see a white man, you know, into this kind of stuff and going to a PhD. I'm just being honest, you know. <laughs> are you a white man <laughs> are you transracial <laughs> and transgender I should probably cut that part out before you probably, took yeah. <laughs> before you took us for me chat oh. <laughs> okay but yeah no I, I think this is one of the beauties of being human and I feel like a lot of Caucasians especially in America enjoy that privilege of exploring as they are they don't have that traditional or I feel like, I don't know, I'm not white, but I would say that a lot of white people don't have that pressure to conform 
they have more freedom to fly. And I think that mentality has helped a lot of Caucasians, especially Caucasian men, to exceed expectation like Elon Musk and the rest of them. And I like, once again, I think the beautiful thing about your situation is that you're having fun with it. Like, it's not... You're not doing it for Ivy League. You're not doing it for any type of recognition or anything like that. You just are having fun with it, which is what should be. It's based on passion. You know, going back to what I was saying, just because you have so much fun with it and something that calls you, and you also are humble enough to admit that there's a lot that you don't know within that niche, I would say that a PhD would actually give you a lot more opportunity for you to explore and also have more of a concrete direction. I say, okay, I can see myself doing this. Because you can't just keep having fun <laughs> for, forever, okay? You're going to be 30, 40, 50, like, sis. You can be get get your things together, Chad. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's just the only advice I'll say. You know? Brotherly advice. You have to, you have to do it. <laughs> you know, it's nothing but love. Yeah. Okay? But, yeah. But, anyway, thank you so much for coming. Do you have any websites, Instagram, social media that you want people to be, or you just want to keep it simple? Um, no, um, I'm I'm here. I'm, I exist. I'm in the universe. If you're tuning in, and I'm tuning in, and uh, you're, we're all connected anyway. We're all so, connected, anyways. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. existing. You're existing. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming to my show. I really do appreciate it. And uh, let's go get some lunch. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs>